Amen. You can be seated. Glad you're here today. That is so good. That, uh, oh my goodness, that is so good. I'm David. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Church. Ben Hiley usually does the lion's share of our preaching and teaching, and he is with a partner church in Tennessee this weekend. Uh, we kind of did a pulpit switch. We've got Nick Person, who's uh, you heard from a few weeks ago, who's doing our high school camp, and he's coming back to do the high school camp. He came out here and preached a few weeks ago, and he'll be doing the high school camp. So Ben went out there, did a little switch for them. And so you get me today, and I'm so glad that I'm here with you. Uh, as we go through this Recharged series, we've been in a series called Recharged. It's been a very difficult year. Most of us have experienced one of the toughest years of our lives. Many of us have lost loved ones. A lot of us have been sick. Many of us have lost jobs. It's been a tough, tough year. So we did this series called Recharge. How do we get back into gear? How, do we, how are we filled with what God has for us so that we can be a blessing to those around us, so that we can fill others around us? And so uh, we've gone through several different ways to do that. Uh, ben has preached about how to be in the Scripture widely, how to, how to read the Scripture, the whole counsel of God in a wide way. How to read the Scripture deeply was another one of those Sundays. Uh, prayer and how to connect with God through prayer. Last week was the Sabbath, and how do we find rest in God? And what does the Sabbath even mean? This week, today, we're going to look at how the church, the gathering of God's called out ones, recharges you. And so as I think about this song that we just sing, this call and response that we just did, um, it's, it, it's incredible because it's the power to unify us in purpose and in focus today. And uh, when we sing, is anyone worthy? And the answer is, well, no, only Jesus is worthy. And so, is anyone whole? And are any of us whole? No, we are, we're broken people. Almost every Sunday, uh, I talk about that. Caleb got to talk about it today. But we're people from a variety of different backgrounds. We've got people from Catholic backgrounds and Baptist backgrounds, LDS and Presbyterian, atheist, agnostic, and otherwise, socioeconomic strata, uh, painful family situations, good family situations. But we all have the same problem. We're broken people. We're not whole. We need Jesus to put us back together. And so he is worthy. And so we're unified in singing this. And unity is the theme of Ephesians 4, which is going to be our text today. You can turn in your Bible or tap on your phone or your tablet to Ephesians 4. If you don't have a modern English translation paper Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can just grab one off the table as you walk out. This is one of those days where, man, I would love a paper, all of you to have a paper Bible because I'm going to jump around Ephesians 4 and try to preach the whole chapter and a couple of things around it. So hang on tight. I'll try to go quick. All right. So <clears throat> today, I mean, part of my goal here is to remind you of what you're already experiencing. I mean, I'm preaching a sermon about church in church. It's a little bit redundant, right? And so, uh, but my job is to, is, to, is to help you to remember why the church exists and why the church will recharge you. I have a friend who cuts my hair, and she's a good friend. She and her husband have been over to our house uh, to watch fights. We like MMA fights. Sorry, that's a confession. But we do. And uh, my wife is a black belt in Taekwondo, and she'll give you an example later. Uh, if you mess with her. So uh, she hates it when I do that too. But we like watching fights. So they, they, this, this couple will come over and we watch some fights together and she cuts my hair. And uh, she's not been to church in a while, and, but they just moved recently closer back to Hope Church. 
And I said, hey, listen, you need to, you should come, you know, 9.30 or 11. She's like, yeah, I need, to, I need to bite the bullet and do that. I'm like, bite the bullet? It's not Civil War surgery we're talking about here. And she's like, oh, no, no, I mean, I, no, I just need to make it a habit. No, I need, you know, and she kind of backed off of it. But what is it that makes some people so suspicious or so leery of being at church? Now, listen, I understand for those that are burned by a false gospel, there's PTSD from that. We are very sensitive to that at Hope Church. You could even call it PT, uh, a false, FG, false gospel. Uh, and I also understand that some people are just burned out. Uh, they're burned out by uh, life, and sometimes they're burned out by church service or something like that. Uh, some people are hurt by people, and I understand that. Some people have been let down by people. I think a lot of times that some people are just distracted, and it draws them away from the body life of the church. Well, today, I want to leave you full. I want to set you on a trajectory of craving church, because first of all, it's where the gospel's found. Because it's where the gospel is preached to a people saved by the gospel. Now, if you're new to Hope Church and biblical Christianity, uh, we want you to understand that this church, Hope Church, is built on the biblical gospel foundation that's been preached at gospel preaching churches for 2,000 years. And so as we look at Ephesians today, the whole gospel is wrapped up in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's a beautiful distillation of the gospel. And for my friends that would say, well, what about works now? What are you saying here? Well, next verse, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him, that we should just walk in them. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. So if you need to explain the gospel to somebody, what is the gospel? Be like, okay, it's a genre of music that I've heard before that I can find on Spotify. No, it's not the gospel. That's gospel music. The gospel is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, and it's all through the Bible. And so we should crave this gospel. That's good news, the good news of grace. And so if we crave the gospel, we'll ultimately crave the church. And recently I heard a song, and some people may think it's cheesy, my friend Kyle might, uh, but I like it a lot. It's by Cochran and Company, and it's, it's Take Me Back to Church, or I Want to Go to Church, and it's got several on Spotify, it's got several parentheses in there. But it, they, it, it, he sings about, to the place, these are some of the lyrics, to the place that feels like home, you really don't want me to sing, Josh would be mad at me if I did, to the place that feels like home, to the people I can depend on, to the faith that's in my bones. Take me back to church, to a preacher in a verse where they've seen me at my worst. To the love I had at first, I want to go to church. Not a trophy for the winners, but a shelter for the sinners. More than an obligation, it's our foundation, the family of God. We need each other, sisters and brothers. It's a great song. And it's not a great song because it's just nostalgic. Now this band trades and nostalgia. There's also a Christmas song on the album for a reason. And, but it's more than that. It's, it's theology. It's ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is the study of the church, of the gathering of God's people. And this is so good because it talks about people I can depend on. I mean, that's what we want out of church. And for those of you that have been burned by people, even in the church or in a church or in a false gospel preaching church, People that you can depend on seems transient. Like, how do you get there? 
Well, Ben preached last week about how at Hope Church, we're always focusing on how do we appear grace-based. Now, we are grace-based, but how do we message the fact that we're grace-based to people? How do we, what do we say on that gospel versus religion card? How do we, how do we appear grace-based? And Ben's like, well, you know, how do you appear grace-based? You be grace-based. And that's, I think, true in our personal lives, but it's also true as it relates to this song and dependability. To dependability. We want to be able to depend on people. Well, we should be a people, and you should be a person who is dependable, that people can count on you. And it's amazing how that can work. People that have seen me at my worst, many of you may see these shirts that we have that say fully known and fully loved. We talk about that a lot because we want to be loved by God, but most of us want to hide most of us want to hide because we're, we're afraid. We're afraid of what people will think about us. We're afraid of what God would think about us. But being fully known, all of our sin down to the core of our death, and that God still loves us, that's a beautiful, freeing gospel truth that is the gospel. And being a shelter for sinners, I mean, one of Hope Church's core values is that prodigals take priority. This is very important to us. That's what we're here for. That's what we're about. And that's who we are. So Ephesians 4 draws us to be these people, unified in Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Beautiful picture of the church. This one hope is why we're called Hope Church, because we have this shared hope, not lots of little hopes, you know, you came in here today with all kinds of things on your mind. And if you're to fill out your hope list, it's probably pretty long. You know, I hope that this would happen. And I hope my kids will do this. And I hope my husband would do this. And I hope, But we have one hope of the gospel. And God, who gives us salvation in Christ, why would he not give us all the rest too? But together in the church is where we experience this hope. It's unity. And it's why we have leaders to keep us singing the same song. We have this call and response. Is he worthy? The speaker calls us. He kind of calls the play and he leads us in this way. And he reminds us of the truths that we agree on. Now, if you're new to Hope Church, you may not agree in some of these truths. But what we're talking about is the Bible. And when we say, is he worthy? Does the Father truly love us? Yes, he does. And we repeat, yes, he does. As a church, we're called to remember in that way. We have to remind each other of that. Now, in some church traditions, especially in the South, when the preacher says something, you hear, amen, roar out. You don't hear that a lot in Utah. We were very blessed to have Katie's dad, Josh's father-in-law, here for several weeks after he lost his wife. And he did a lot of amening. And it was kind of fun to hear the amening because that word, amen, is really just a Hebrew word, amen, that just means truth. So when the speaker says something and you say amen, you're just saying truth. Truth, pastor, truth, testify, some people would say. And so when we're doing this, it's why a wedding officiant explains to the people getting married 
they, they say, okay, do you take this man? And they say all the words, and then the, and then the person getting married says, I do. Well, they, they're too nervous to say much of anything else, but they're agreeing with the pastor. They're agreeing with the speaker. This call and response is as old as time, from the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament to uh, work songs, um, to, to blue songs that came out of work songs and Christian songs. But it expresses a, a unity that's only possible in the Christian church with humility. That's what verse 2 reveals to us. This is a shelter for sinners. So we're agreeing together that we're sinners. Humility would have been considered disgraceful in the time that Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians. The Holy Spirit is inspiring Paul to write a letter from jail to the Ephesians. He's a prisoner for the Lord. He's made a total commitment to God. And he's writing this encouragement to the Ephesian church. And it's just one long thought. It's one long letter. There's no, in the Greek, there's no commas, there's no numbers, there's no headings. It's just, we do that so we can read it and find verses. But it's just one outpouring of a thought that Paul is delivering to the Ephesians. And the Ephesians at the time would have been a very prideful people. Pride would have been highly prized and celebrated in this pagan culture, but not in the church. The church humbles us. It reminds us of our shared problem. It's a real problem. It's a real bad problem. And it's not just the miserable condition of the world around us. It's the miserable condition of my own heart. I mean, verse 22 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Corrupt and deceitful is what our old self is about. It's what we are about without Christ. So how do we shed our snakeskin? Well, it starts with humility. It ends in love. We'll see that in verse 16. Man, I better just read all of this. It's so good. There's a, there's, there's a couple of verses right after 6, 7, and 8 that just talk about God's authority. Some people get hung up on does he go up, does he go down, it doesn't matter. It's authority to do verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to mature manhood. That's what God has for us. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's growing us up into maturity into Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by uh, the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Love is the destination. All right? So if, if that's the destination, if verse 16 tells us that it results in love in the church and the individual, is that how you felt when you walked in this morning? If you believe that to be true, how did you feel in your heart? Does, does your feeling in your heart match what's going on in your head? Ben asked last week is two very probing questions. He asked last week as it relates to the Sabbath, he said one thing, are you, do you find yourself angry all the time? He asked another question, do you find yourself fearful all the time? 
Are you always angry or always fearful? Does that characterize who you are? Because ultimately, we've got to ask these questions. So take a second to ask yourself this question. Do I like the way I am? Because the church is not where we come to hide. It's where we come to heal. It's where we come to change. So there's a clear contrast between the love in the church in verse 16 and the hardness of heart outside the church in verse 18. It talks about the Gentiles because of their hardness of heart. But hard hearts are not only outside the church. So I would be doing you a disservice to your hard heart if I just told you to deal with your anger by reading verse 26 and 27. Now we'll read verse 26 and 27 that says, Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. The church delivers the word of God, but it's also a place of authentic confession. And I must confess to you my own hard heart. Last week I was very convicted by that sermon because too often... I am characterized by a feeling of anger. And um, people that love me, that are close to me, have pointed that out to me, even this last week. And as I confess this to you, now I'm also, in my mind, Ben and Josh and I all went to the same seminary. And in seminary, they have preaching classes. And in the preaching classes, they tell you what not to be. There's a whole long list of them. Don't be a conjurer. Don't try to create things out of God's word that aren't there. You're trying to have some new angle on a. Don't do that. Don't be the hero all the time. All right? That's one of the things you're not supposed to be. It also says don't be the naked preacher. Now, obviously, that's metaphorical. Don't worry. Uh, But it says don't be the naked preacher, meaning that it's not my job every Sunday to come and cry before you with all my sin of the week. Because guess what? We're all sinners. We all sin all during the week. That would be self-indulgent and no good to you. But it also would not be good to you if I did not confess you know, my own sin. What good am I if I'm not honest? And so I confess this to my family, to Ben and to God and to now to you. Because that's what the church is. The church is where you come in hard and you leave soft. That's what that's what corporate worship does. It does its job, and it did its job to me last week. And so I'm very grateful, and I'm grateful to be here before you and be able to deliver this hope to you. Now, for you, maybe it's not anger. For you, maybe you're plagued by loneliness. Are you lonely today? Well, God has a word for you in verse 18. Verse 18 says, talking about the Gentiles that they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Think about that phrase, life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. Alienated from the life of God. What is the life of God? The life of God is His people, His church. It's interacting with Him. It's His people united to Him. And so what I would encourage you is that don't alienate yourself. Don't isolate yourself because church is where God is. Where God's people are gathered together, two or more, there he is also. So when Ben preached last week on the Sabbath, hey, he said, hey, find out what you like to do on the Sabbath. Do what you like to do as it relates to your rest. But he didn't say anything about isolating yourself. Isolation is not the Sabbath. There's no rest found without God and his people. No true rest of heart. Sabbath is not escapism. Let me just get away from people. My wife, we have seven kids. Let me just get away from the kids. Let me just cocoon away from the kids if I can. But that's not what, the, that's not what true rest in God is. When we first brought our son Levi into our home, 
when he was 16 years old. He grew up in a polygamous community in southern Utah, and he needed grace. And we wanted to appear grace-based. We are grace-based, and he needed to hear everything about grace because everything he'd experienced in his life had nothing to do with grace. And we also needed him to graduate high school. So we had the two competing interests there. Now, he didn't read or write until he was 14 years old. They had, cl- they had uh, kind of outlawed that in his community growing up. And so we had a, a long road to hoe. And it required him to go to school every day. It required him to bring his computer home every day. It required him to read. And so we're asking these things from him. But it's not that we want something from him. We want something for him. We don't want to take something away from him. We want to give something to him. And so when we... When we want you to be here every Sunday, it's not primarily because we want anything from you. We want something for you. We want this life of God for you. By the way, Ben does not get paid on attendance, just so you know. I don't know how he would do today if, if, uh, if he did, but, um, but it, makes me think about, it makes me think about the Seinfeld episode where Kramer gets a job, and Kramer's not really a working guy, but he gets a briefcase and a suit, and he, you know, they play the song, I'm working nine to five, and he goes into the office, and, um, and uh, he's very excited about it all. But he starts actually doing some work, doing some reports. And he's not, like, they're not giving him a paycheck or anything. He, they're wondering why he's there. And he gets called into the boss's office. And the boss said, hey, you know, listen, I think we're going to have to let you go. Uh, these reports make no sense. I don't even understand what you're trying to say. And he said, well, I, I don't even really work here. And the guy said, well, that, that's what makes it so hard to fire you. And... Uh, <laughs> And so uh, for me, for me, I make my living off the co-working facility. And so if I mess up, if I neglect to do something at Hope Church, I just tell Ben, well, I don't even really work here. <laughs> and, uh, and so the point is, though, and Paul said the same kinds of things. I'm going to d- deliver the gospel to you free of charge. Why? Because I want something for you, not, not from you. So... I, I, this, there's this great little book called Reset, and it's great about the Sabbath. I highly commend it to you. It's about, by a guy named David Murray. And he cited a study in this book that uh, claimed that meeting with a group just once a week resulted in a happiness gain equal to doubling your income. That's pretty good, all right? So we, when we say we want you to come to a community group, it's because those people are going to be people you depend on. These are going to be people that will pray for you when you're sick and bring you chicken soup. And that's what the church is. But it's not just about your happiness. It's also worship for his glory. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And it will satisfy him to be in the church, to be in church. I mean, if you want to walk in a, mat, in a, uh, in a worthy manner, verse 1 says, if you want to walk in a worthy manner, okay, the, the church and the scriptures have it for you. If you want to bear with one or another in love, the scriptures have that to you. But where is the object of that love if not for the church? In verse 2. If you want to be eager to maintain unity that you've been given by the grace of God, you find that in verse 3. If you want to unify your faith and knowledge and be mature, like verse 13 says, then, well, and by the way, parenthetically, God seems to indicate these aren't just fringe benefits, but essential, necessary to kingdom citizenship. If you want to do, be these things, then you should come every Sunday. Now, 
If that word should offends you, it offends me too. I coach people all the time, never say the word should, because we're appearing to be grace-based. We are grace-based, all right? So I tell people all the time, don't tell anybody they should come to church. Just say, hey, you're invited, and end the sentence with, you're invited. Well, uh, I would also not be grace-based if I didn't tell you that you should. I mean, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says it, and this is a God of grace who's saying it. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're focused on Jesus' return together, and we should be focused on that together every week, together. Now, yes, there's vacations, there's all these things, but this is what we want for you. As it relates to Hebrews, Paul David Tripp comments, he says this, corporate worship is designed to confront you with the glory of the grace of Jesus so you won't look for life, help, and hope elsewhere. It's pretty good. The hope is here, and it's a hope for change. Now, further down in the passage, in verse 25, it says, hey, do you want to be truthful? Okay, you can find it here. Do you want to be a hard worker? Verse 28, do you have a problem dropping F-bombs? Verse 29, you didn't think F-bomb was in the Bible. It's not. But verse 29 addresses this problem. Do you want, because God doesn't think it's cute. Sorry. Do you want to replace bitterness, anger, and wrath from verse 31 with kindness and forgiveness in verse 32? Now, I can just sling you verses like this. You can take a Bible and go home. If everybody who read the Bible believed in the truths of Scripture and that was transformative enough for them, then, we, then what, what is the church? But this is all worked out in a lifelong relationship with the church, with people that you can depend on that agree together in humility that I'm, I'm no better than you. We have equity in our spiritual bankruptcy. We're the same. And so that humility then drives us to love each other in the church. We want to be recharged by the church, but we also want to be remade into the image of his son because you're not ready church for eternity you're not you're not ready i'm not ready you need the church now to be with the church forever right because that's what heaven is that's what heaven is say oh i love god but i don't love the church well (laughs) well, sorry that's what heaven is it's not just this place this building it's the church forever it's more about a with whom than a what so When Romans 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your your spiritual worship. Then you can say yes and amen to that because that is what God is asking from you, a total commitment. That's what God's asking from you, a total commitment. Because in verse 2, this is what you get. Okay, this is, so in verse 1, it's from God, you know, God's, God's getting this from you, but this is what you get. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You get to be transformed in the church, by the church, by God's grace. You get to be everything that's good and acceptable and perfect. That's the, re- that's the reward. That's the, that's the, That's what God is giving you. That's what he wants for you so that you can attain to this unity that we see in Ephesians 4, 13 and 14. 
to the measure of the fullness of Christ. So he's transforming you into Christ to fold you into Christ eventually. And how is this possible? Like, how is Romans 12 possible? Present my body as a living sacrifice? Who in here wants to do that? Well, it's based upon, like all of Paul's letters, okay? Ephesians is written by Paul, so is Romans. Very similar. He makes the gospel case. He talks about what God has done. And then he says, okay, here's how you'd apply it to your life. It's good preaching. That's what the preaching is. So back up now to a Romans 11, Romans 11, 6. And I'll give you another distillation of the gospel in one verse. It's beautiful. So... Verse 5 actually says, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. You are chosen by grace, but verse 6 says, but it is by grace. It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. It's free to you. This is what you're getting. This is what's for you. It's free to you so that you can be transformed into the image of Christ. And that word transformed in the original Greek is metamorphosis. What a cool word and what a cool picture. I mean, even if you think about the word metaphor that comes from metamorphosis or has some similarities, it makes me, it draws my mind to creation. And I think it's probable that God made caterpillars only for the metaphor because they are ugly. I mean, look at that thing. God created that and said it was good, all right? How did he say that was good? I think it's because of the metaphor that it, that it creates. So play the video. That, I mean, the video is wild. The, you know, the caterpillar needs to eat a lot. He's got to grow to full length. I mean, he's really just an eating machine. That's all he does. It's what he's made for. He does little else. And then he hangs himself upside down. And his eating isn't over. And this is where it gets kind of fun. He begins to digest himself splitting his skin open to form a pupa or spin a cocoon, depending on the type of caterpillar. And he's eating, he's eating, he's doing something in that cocoon. He's always doing something, being prepared for something in that cocoon. And this takes a while. And then over time, a butterfly emerges. Now, It takes about an hour for the blood to fill its wings before it's ready to fly off. Try to recreate that in a lab. For my skeptic friends and my uh, scientific friends, we had two science teachers in the first service, who I'm very glad for because they can look at the wonder of God in this beautiful transformation, and it's what he has for you. It's not just for a... just a bug? It's for me, and it's for you. Change is possible, but the caterpillar doesn't change into the butterfly without the cocoon. The butterfly is a powerful symbol for hope and transformation, and the church is the home of hope and transformation. So, when verse 16, if you'll throw verse 16 up, I'm just going to read it off the screen. So when verse 16 says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint, by Christ, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What a beautiful picture. Love is possible because transformation is possible. And it happens in the church. And it's God's gift to you to recharge you and to prepare you 
for this week and the next year and for eternity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much, God, for your, the beauty of your word, the beauty of your creation, the beauty of your love for us shown on the cross, the grace that you've shown us, that despite our sin, that you've chosen to die for us, to save us, God. And I just pray right now, whoever's hurting in this room, that you would transform them into the image of your son. God, I pray whoever's investigating Christianity, that they would understand the beautiful transformation available because of the cross and exercised and applied within the church, God's people. And so, God, I pray that we would be a church that builds itself up in love, that's dependable upon each other, that is humble, God, and that recognizes our own sin and our equity and our spiritual bankruptcy. And I pray that each individual in this room today would understand their own spiritual bankruptcy and be transformed into the image of your son, slowly in the cocoon of the church, being prepared for its ultimate purpose to fly, God, for eternity with the church together. Thank you for this beautiful picture. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.